Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And we are once again in our new podcast facilities. <laughs> We're slowly upgrading. We managed to avoid the lawn mowing company, but the windows are still open, so you'll hear traffic. Yeah. Sorry. They came earlier today? Yes. All right. Yeah, we got to get that rescheduled. Yes. That's like high on my priority list, so <laughs> not. Well, yeah. Anyhow. Well, what are we talking about? We are going to be talking about a question that people have asked. Um, this is actually something we've had in our own church on gray areas and pastoral authority. Really, the question is about pastoral authority. How much authority does a pastor have? Uh, but what it usually deals with are what people call the gray areas. So uh, if you didn't know it, Matt and I are both pastors. Um, and as pastors, we get all kinds of questions and, and just because of the fact that we are people's pastor, we find ourselves facing, facing uh, situations that tend to be very unique to the role of pastoring. Um, it's, it's a very precious task. We wouldn't, we, we wouldn't uh, trade it in, but it's also very difficult to do well because it can be fraught with all sorts of potential traps and pitfalls. And so the one we want to discuss today is how much authority does a pastor have in the private lives of the church members? Commonly, those, as I've already said, are centered on what are called the gray areas of life. Yeah, as as is most of life, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> the problem. Yeah, we, we like the black and white, but it's just not that clean. So being a, a pastor is a strange and wonderful ro role to fill. Um, it, it, it's hard to explain exactly what a pastor is or therefore what a pastor does to, to people at times. And because it's so variegated, there's many factors involved in pastoring. It took me um, a while to adjust actually, because I'm coming from just normal, like a secular job where it's, you have hours, a task, a clock, you know, you know, I mean, everything's mapped out for you. You have a job description and then you get into a pastoral role and it's just, where do you start? It's <laughs> Right. And nobody's there holding your hand and nobody's expecting. I mean, if you're in a senior pastor, you're in a lead pastor role, um, kind of a weird place right now because of the church plant. But yeah, nobody's there telling you, you, you got to be in the office between now and here. You have these things you have to produce. Nothing. Yeah. No boss. You just have your, I mean, you're accountable to your fellow elders, but there's... Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, basic things like preach the word or, yeah, you know, counsel people. But, but as long as you show up with a sermon, people are assuming the rest of that week's something happened or yeah. maybe nothing. And so the joke is always that a pastor works, what, one hour a day or a, a week? Yeah. And uh, it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> My kids never appreciated that joke because uh, several would play that when they were little. And they're like, if that's true, why don't I ever see my dad? Why do I only see him for one hour a week? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's true. Yeah. And so one is, you know, th there are preconceptions. Most people have preconceptions of what pastors are to be and to do. 
largely informed by the culture probably. Um, but what, what's interesting to us is that most have that preconception, but when you begin to press them for what exactly they think a pastor does or even should be doing, it suddenly gets incredibly vague. Yes. Right. Um, you know, in fact, it'd be fun to just get some people into a room and have them write down maybe the top 10 things if they could even come up with 10. See, I was, I, I was like, <laughs> like they could do 10. So yeah. they're like, teach. Um, Counsel. <laughs> um, Baptize. Mary. Barry. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bad. Right, right. Uh, and, well, another challenge that is disgusting, disgusting, discussing the role of a pastor and in the various traditions within just the church at large, this is also what makes it more complex. You know, so what an Anglican priest is going to do is very different than what an independent Baptist pastor will do. Very much so. Uh, and then even within the various denominations, you have a, a broad spread of what a pastor is to do. And so, you know, what a pastor does, even let's say within the church of 25 to 30 people, that's going to be very different than what a pastor of a multi-campus church does who is pastoring thousands. Right. Um, then if you add to all of that, the image that's so often given by, you know, things like the film industry, the confusion just grows all the more. So usually a pastor there you're going to see is, you know, either very broad minded and open or a pastor will be the exact opposite. Yeah. Hyper legalistic, very nasty yeah. little. <laughs> yeah. And so their, their knowledge is usually very small or, or so niche that it's useless, you know, you'll be, you'll see it being portrayed as like, you know, they're an expert on a Romanesque religious iconography in the Southern France region. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow they know that, but, but they couldn't tell you yeah. as, anything about how a marriage should function as they tend to the flowers on the church property. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. You got it. That's it. Yeah. You know, in the graveyard. Right. You know, right. with their boyfriend, well, because they're a female pastor. And they have a boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. yeah as they're yeah, secretly yeah. brewing beer in their monk outfit or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think we pretty well covered it. <laughs> right. that, well done. Yeah. Or, or they're, you know, they're portrayed relatively just nice by the film industry. They're just a nice person. And so they're, they'll be, on the other hand, concerned maybe about social issues. So now they're like the neighborhood morality or something. Right. They're trying to clean up the neighborhoods and their beacon right. of inspiration. Right. So what we want to do, with, first of all, is before we can even try to talk about the role of pastoral authority or the gray areas, we're going to do a basic, quick identity and role of the pastor. Um, and it actually may surprise you, but a pastor is actually hard to define because of theology, tradition, and history, all of those things that you just kind of uh, talked about briefly. Now, biblically speaking, a pastor is really nothing more than an elder, which right away, some listeners may be saying, uh-uh, but it's true. And when we get to uh, ecclesiology and our systematic theology, I think we'll beat that sucker to death to try to show it. So when we talk about pastor, it's no different than an elder. Uh, the only difference is that normally a pastor is paid. That's that's yeah. the key thing. Um, it's really that simple, but it does shock people. Um, we invest a lot of time uh, personally in teaching pastors in Ethiopia that very fact. And even then we're met with polite smiles after we take them through all the biblical data. Um, 
And when we get to biblical polity, again, in our systematic theology, we will develop this. So uh, we're just going to touch lightly here, and hopefully you can anticipate that. Now, some will say that the Old Testament and New Testament have this strong sense of continuity between the two. And so they'll see the idea of the priest of the Old Testament as being replaced by the pastor of the New. Um, and so that allows them to look to the Old Testament priests for examples of those roles or responsibilities of a pastor. Well, whereas others like Matt and I, we see a strong discontinuity between the old and new, and the pastor is not related to the priest at all. And therefore, the, the New Testament alone will define our role and responsibilities. Uh, also, as I said, tradition comes into play. So over time, the early church began to develop a distinction between the elder and the overseer. Um, and along with that came a tendency to go back into that Old Testament imagery of the priest, and that's how you have the rise right. of the clergy. Right. Um, then you have the distinction between the clergy class of priest, elder, pastor, and then the bishop or overseer. And so now in our denominations, you'll have a guy who's a bishop, and he's over the pastor, um, but biblically, they're treated identically. Uh, so as we've already said, the Bible itself simply does not make those distinctions. And the best place we would take a person to would be Acts 20. There's many other places, but this is enough. We will read from specific verses simply for time's sake. But in Acts 20, uh, well, Paul is leaving Ephesus forever. Um, and so uh, he he's in Miletus, and it says that he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church, which is important right there because he doesn't call elders and pastors or elders and bishops. He just calls the elders, and he's been there for three years. Um, and then in verse 28, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. So he makes a distinction between the elders and the flock, and there are no other offices or groups mentioned, just themselves, the elders, and the flock, which is the church, among which the Holy Spirit has made you, here's the key word, overseers, for what purpose? To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And what you actually have there with the word elder, overseer, and shepherd, you have all three terms that are used in the Bible and they all relate to one group of men. If you didn't know, shepherd simply means pastor. That's all the word pastor actually means. It means to shepherd. And so it speaks of a function rather than a title. Yeah. Um, and they all relate to one group of men. So Paul is thinking, you're an elder, and your job is to have oversight. That's where we get the word bishop. And the way you have oversight is by shepherding. Mm -hmm. um, now, the New Testament will also use other terms to describe that office and role. Uh, they're going to be described as the teacher or those who led or lead you or led you. So uh, keep that in mind as well. They're interchangeable. Right. In a, yeah. And what I think is powerful about that passage when talking on the authority of the pastor is what he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. And then this key qualifier, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So while elders are identified by other fellow elders in the church to establish new elders, in reality, though, it's the Holy Spirit that has put them in that place. And it kind of speaks against congregational rule. But that's for another time. <laughs> okay. Um, so let us just br briefly describe the role of the pastor then. Um, number one, just there's this element of or category, we'll call it a pastoral care. 
again, as you already mentioned, the term for pastor does carry that idea of shepherd. This involves that idea of feeding. Um, I mean, think about what a shepherd does for sheep, right? Yeah, involves it's not the, hard. <laughs> yeah, uh, fee, great image. Um, involves the idea of feeding uh, and leading the people of God in a healthy way, but also involves, on the other end of that spectrum, protecting them from yeah, dangers. a big one. Yeah. Um, the second is building up the believers in their in their faith. So Ephesians 4 makes it clear that the task of ministry is is not actually the job of the pastor. Um, it's amazing how, how much that opens up people's eyes when you begin to teach through that text sometimes. I remember early on in my ministry, actually, I, I told somebody, I'm like, so when are you going to actually begin to do something? And, and she blinked and said, that's what we pay you to do. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and we were in Ephesians 4 about four seconds later. <laughs> Open up your Bible, too. Yeah, Ephesians 4. Um, yeah, the, the task of ministry is not actually the job of the pastor. Rather, there it is to equip the saints for the work of the service. So they're to train the members of the church to do these things. And this is not specifically defined by Paul in that passage, what that is or what that means. Uh, instead, through the images there, he creates the idea of this, this role. It involves leading and teaching toward a unified understanding of doctrine and practice, so a heavy emphasis on teaching, yeah. equipping. In the Western world, the pastor is usually responsible for administrative aspects of the church, so worship service planning, planning out church calendars, weddings, funerals, counseling, those kinds of things, just to name a few. Now, th there's nothing wrong with that. No. Um, it's just... Those are not overtly biblical um, roles. They are just the reality is you're paid, and this is part of what you, you're responsible to do. Yeah. Um, now, when we talk about the authority, uh, we want to talk about the authority and influence of the pastor, and that's really important. Um, this is where it starts to get very important for you to understand. The authority of the pastor or elder is built into the commands and expectations that are given to them and to the church members. Um, let, we're we're going to give you some examples here. An elder is to have a well-managed home and children that are under control, the Bible says, in a dignified manner. So that's in 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. So well-managed home and children under control, and all of that is done in a dignified manner. So this is done through the wise use of authority and the expectation of obedience. I mean, a, a, a father can't run his household well unless he has authority. It's assuming, in other words, yeah. authority. Uh, but it's a authority that's not this heavy-handed, evil, angry kind. It's, it's done well. Um, and the rationale for Paul is that's exactly how he's going to manage the, house, uh, the household of God or the church as well. So, again, implied in that is that obviously just like a father has authority in his home, a pastor or elder has authority in the church. And then in Acts 20, we just uh, heard that one. Uh, the elders were expected to actually guard the church against false teachers. Again, that requires or implies, if you wish, authority to step up and place themselves between the church and perceived threat. In addition, they were to feed and teach the church. Uh, and no matter what people will tell you otherwise, teaching always, always involves authority. People are submitting themselves under your instruction. So that's another important thing. And then it's interesting in Acts 15 that when they called that famous uh, Jerusalem council together, the apostles 
gathered themselves along with the elders. And so it says the apostles and elders were gathered so that they could hear Paul and deal with those ecclesiastical issues related to Gentiles coming to faith. And again, this shows an incredible level of authority that the apostles, by then, the church had already grown to the point that they had appointed elders, and these men needed to be there and render decisions. Again, authority. And so the idea there is that you are expected then to look to them as an example uh, to follow in life. And so I'm going to read this and make just a few quick comments. In Hebrews 13, 7, it's written, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So notice those key phrases. They led you, they spoke the word to you, and they and therefore you are to imitate their faith. So they're, they're I mean, you can't lead unless you have authority. <laughs> um and, and again, they're speaking the word of God to you. So it's not everyone sharing their own thoughts about the word, but these the leaders are the ones who are also supposed to be the one teaching or bringing the word of God to you. That's their responsibility. Both of those involve authority. But then he says, when you look at their lives and the outcome of their life and, and the fruit of their life, he says, you are commanded, not suggested, but commanded to imitate their faith. Um, that faith, we, we were talking off, uh, off, what do you call these things, microphone, earlier. It's not talking about the faith, that body of doctrine. It's the outcome of the faith, how they lived that out, how they yeah. practiced it in their life, which is why First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 become so important on those qualifications, because these are practical ways that the faith, the gospel, works itself out in a man's life to the point that he now is qualified to lead the church as an elder. So yeah. you are expected to follow them in their life. And, and so the question you could immediately be asked is, how are you imitating your pastors? Right. I mean, when was the last time you even thought about imitating your pastor? Yeah. And it implies that your pastor is able to be imitated in the sense of you have yeah. access to them, right? So, Well, this speaks also against some of the models of church where the exactly. pastor is so far removed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, we have several churches in town where they'll they'll flat out tell you if you come for counsel and you say, hey, I need counsel, I don't do that. And they send you off to a outside counseling group. And it's like, dude, you that, yeah, that's right, another right. podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, next, we would say that you, uh, you're expected to submit to and obey your leaders. This comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 where the writer states, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls. And how do they do that? As those who will give an account. Therefore, let them do this with joy and not with grief. And why should you let them do this with joy, not with grief? For this would be unprofitable to you. Um, and it, we look, it, it just looked up this word. It's very interesting. It's let them do this with joy, not with grief. That word grief, let them do this with joy, not with stenazo, literally a sigh or a groan or inwardly deep groan. Um, in, in other places, uh, like James, as with discontentment directed against another, there's a, there's a complaint. Uh, one lexicon says uh, strongly mutter or grumble. <laughs> um, it's a it, strong word. <laughs> yeah. In other words, this is a reality for, for pastors. And, and that's what elders meetings look like. It is. Honestly, um, we, I mean, 
our elders meetings, we deal with administrative stuff, right? Budgets and scheduling things and whatnot. But when we then turn it to, we're going to begin to talk about people in the church and their health, their spiritual health. How are they doing problems? There are times where we literally, you'll see a pastor literally physically groan yes. uh, because the person is yeah. being so difficult to handle. Well, and I've had people on occasion say to me, because I chose to use some choice words, that they perceived that I was just talking in a manner discontent with where some where a situation was, and they were accusing me of that, and I chose to overlook it at the time. But in reality, I was. I had a discontent right. there, and they accused me of that as if that was a bad thing. Well, here the author of Hebrews understands that that's a reality for pastors sometimes. And so, yeah, there, there's a manner that we are to lead, but it should be qualified with a kind of joy. So we always ask people, how are you making it joyful for your pastors to lead you? Why? Because that's good for you, according to this writer. And, and the way you make it joyful is allowing them to easily have watch over your soul. And that's another one. I say yeah. it from the pulpit when I've come to this passage. How do you allow your pastors to have watch over your soul? Think about, come up with a, an actual way you can say, this is how I do it. And you get the blank stares by so many people. And the very ones who you wish would give you that opportunity are the yeah. ones usually giving you the blank stare. And it's yeah. like- You have no access no. to their life. And so you can't speak into it, but right. you watch the train wreck. Yep. You're, you see it, the, 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 the bridge is out, they're going full speed ahead and they don't want to talk. They don't want to have counsel. And you just, you're left to- Watch it go right off the bridge, um, and if I would, I would even say as an older pastor, if a member, if you, if you see your pastor and he does look discontent or frustrated or discouraged or groaning, if you will, it's possible he's just being a selfish prig, right? I mean, it's possible. Uh, there's certainly plenty of those, but it's also possible that you're. Is it possible that you, as a church or the church members? Are making it difficult for them? Are they putting up roadblocks in every possible way, even though they don't realize they're doing it? Um, I've had church members in the past, we don't have them like that now, but who actually, I remember one bragged to me that he votes no just to keep me humble and to remember that I'm not in charge. It's God's church. I'm like, hmm. really? <laughs> That's dumb. <laughs> And I groaned. <laughs> yes. Anyhow. Yeah. So that that's a... But the commands are obey and submit. That's obey and submit. Point. So again, there's an implied authority with those, right? Um, next, you should hold your pastors and leaders in, uh, in respect. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly. How in love? Why? Because of their work. That'd be a fun one to diagram. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's just piling them on here, isn't he? Therefore, live in peace with one another. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, you can appreciate, have charge, give you instruction. He's saying esteem these people very highly um, because they love you and they're working for you. Well, and and so again, I'll I, I could ask you know. When was the last time you expressed a genuine appreciation for your pastor to your pastor? Um, how, in what way have you shown a tangible way of doing that? Um, 
how, how, how would, if you were to ask them, would they readily tell you that they recognize that they have charge over you, that you are, you are willingly saying, I want to be led in my spiritual growth and life. Um, but yeah, he just one after another, he's laying out, these are all roles and responsibilities, right? Yes. So in these passages, it becomes very obvious that the pastor has authority and actually the pastor has quite a bit of authority. Now, we want to emphasize again that the pastor is not just the person who has the title. It's anyone who's qualified and recognized as an elder in the church. So in our church right now, we have three. And they are the ones. We have another man sitting with us who, Lord willing, will become an elder. Um, but we are really slow in doing that uh, because we've, we being me, have, have had to pay the price of being too hasty early on in my ministry. We would also add... Um, that's your phone. That's my phone? Oh, there you go. Somebody's <laughs> calling me. And you know what? It's, it's, it's Apple says, likely a scam. So it's like, you're interrupting our podcast. Go away, you scammer. Anyhow, we would add that the Bible uh, assumes also a plurality in this role. We'll get into that as well uh, in our ecclesiology. It doesn't mean that at times there might be only one pastor, but that should not stay that way. Always, the New Testament, always speaks of the leaders and the elders in a plural. Um, having said that, the pastor has authority from God and is also authority that is usually vested by the church itself. So the question is not if he has authority. The question really comes down to to what degree and in what areas is that authority. That's what yeah. we're going to get into And that's into what we're now. trying to do right. with this, yeah. Okay. So, so all of this was just intro. <laughs> yes. Uh, so let's talk about the scope, the scope of authority. Um, well, the first one here is the spiritual health of the church. Now, this is a very broad one, and it is hard to defi define, and and therefore that is exactly why there's problems that can arise at this point. Right. It's just it's very broad. It deals with the the direction that the church is going and what a particular local church is choosing to emphasize. As you know, no church can do everything, nor should it. Um, it involves you know counseling the promotion of spiritual disciplines such as prayer, scripture intake. It's the process of discipling people. Um, it's the promotion and the guardian of the unity of the spirit. Um, and then of course, aiding in the process of church discipline. So all of that there, that all of those things, again, require authority, but what, what is the scope of that? How's it look in practice? And sure. from church to church, it might vary. Um, another big one is teaching and doctrine. Uh, and this is key. Doctrine is to come through the leadership. Um, they, they should be the primary source of instruction for the church as a whole. Now, that's not to say that they're the only source, but they should certainly function in such a way as to become the ones where their church members are, are looking and coming to see them as trustworthy in that capacity. Yeah, so we're not saying that it's a sin if you listen to other teachers or right. preachers, but when you make those others be your primary and your pastor as your secondary, one, you're going to make a degree for your pastor, right? And and two... Um, which, would, which would not be good for you. It, yeah. By the way, we didn't mention that, that, that that Hebrews 13 passage makes it clear the reason you do that is so that you're, you 
it goes well for you. In other words, God literally makes it hard in your life when you make it hard for your pastors. That That's a shocking statement. And so some people might be having difficulties in their life, and it's simply because God is putting stumbling blocks in their way because they are basically jerks yep. toward their leadership. Something, to, something for some people perhaps to think about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Anyhow, go ahead. Yeah, well, doctrine... Doctrine at the pastoral level, it's to be solid, it's to be deep, it's to be thoughtful, it's to be biblical, it's to be ever-developing. And also on this point, one of the reasons I'd say that your primary source of instruction should be your pastor is because their teaching and their sermons, and I I know you do this too, but you have your people in mind as you write sermons, as you write your teaching outlines. You're aware of situations and circumstances, and you love your people, and so you're crafting these things in a manner, hopefully, that's helpful to them, um, when you're just listening to somebody on the internet, you, you might get good teaching, but it's not customized for you. Yeah, it's situation. it's not your shepherd feeding you. Right. It's a guy just shoving up the food on a platter, and you're kind of picking all the cart, really. Right. Um, yeah. But to be honest, uh, all of that's huge, though. Uh, as you said, it's something that we are to be treating our pastors as our primary source of authority when it comes to doctrine. Yeah. Uh, if you, and, and, well, and this gets into all of those people who are pastors who give cruddy sermons, right? It, what frustrates me is the number of people who are like, wow, I really learned a lot when we listen to your teaching. It's like, but you go to that church. Why aren't you learning? Well, and, but they don't want to leave. They recognize they're not learning, but they, and I'm like, I don't know how to help you, but I wish you would stop listening. Yeah, uh, because well, we've told people that. Well, we yeah, constantly. Um, now, with that though, there are some areas of what we're going to call limited authority, <clears throat> and this is where it gets more difficult. Every other sphere that people live in, we, the pastor, will have limited authority. So, your work, uh, home and family, society, government, leisure, finances. I think I pretty well captured most of. Yeah areas. Um, Now, there are some pastors who will seek to control these areas, but there is actually not a single biblical warrant to do so. Ultimately, uh, the member is expected to make decisions within the spheres of responsibilities that they possess. Um, But it does not mean that the pastor has no impact in those areas. Frankly, the pastor should, but it should come through instruction, through doctrine, and through theology. That That's where that influence comes in. And so that's where we come into the gray areas. Uh, we get this all the time, and it's both pleasurable and a pain to help out in these areas. Um, one thing we would remind everyone is Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 both speak to the issue of what's called the conscience. And what's important in those passages is that each person is ultimately responsible to make decisions in relation to the conscience, and the rest of the church ought to respect them. So coronavirus issue, we're we're finally able to start to meet as a church. And one of the things we recognize is some people, they they really want to come maybe gloved up and masked. And if they want to, we need to honor them. But we also want them to understand that there's others like you and I who are not coming gloved and masked. And it's not a lack of love for them. But our conscience is such that, no, we're, we are secure in knowing that we're, we're, that's not our concern. And they need to honor our conviction as much as we need to honor them. Yes. And that's just a really tiny way that that conscience is going to work itself out. Um, 
But there's also the idea in those passages that the issues of conscience, um, you can't push them on everyone else. So just because it's your conscience that says this is wrong doesn't mean it's wrong for everybody, right? Right. Um, now, here we can simply give some examples, and that's what we're going to do. We can talk about how any of these might become issues that the elders must step into uh, and deal with in an authoritative way. But nonetheless, these are all going to be conscience gray issues that a person's going to have to make his own decision. Yeah. So, uh, a first category, just household decisions, right? So, so buying property, moving to another state, you got mother-in-law problems schooling choices um you know do we do public do we do private do we do homeschooled um you know should both husband and wife pursue careers now every one of those is fraught with landmines for a pastor yep every one of them <laughs> um and i i dealt with every one of them <laughs> yes right but we can we can suggest but we can't tell you unless you're overtly I mean, if you are stealing money so you can buy property, um, yeah, we're going to talk to you about that very authoritatively. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and in a lot of these, we're going to be seeking to address motivations and desires behind these. Um, but anyway, the which is where I would say the, the, the pastoral role comes into play. Um, but another category would be on issues such as money and work. You know, should I take a promotion? Should I not? How much money should a person give to the church? Um, what's their philosophy of debt? Uh, all these things. Another one, social and government. So do I vote? Or if I do, how should I vote? You know, what does it look like to submit to the governing authorities? Um, leisure. Do I have a TV? <laughs> what shows do I watch or do I choose not to watch? How do I spend my time off? Uh, hobbies, sports, these kinds of things. Um, so these are all gray areas that are they're difficult to speak into because it comes down to issues of conscience in many ways. Uh, so the pastor should strive to be a source of counsel in these areas and in a model also, or an example to follow, uh, the more faithful he is in them. And, you know, the longer he labors faithfully among the people, you know, the greater his influence likely will be, but the pastor can't force his position or his, or his opinion upon the people if it's not overtly commanded or overtly prohibited in the scriptures someplace. But that doesn't mean that he has no opinion or that he shouldn't have opinion, but only that his opinion should be founded upon the word of God. Yeah. And, and it's there that, again, challenges can arise because let's say that you really want to know your pastor's opinion on every one of these. You've got, you, you, you might take a job elsewhere um, it's a new promotion. It's you're, you want to buy a house that's way over your uh, pay. Um, how you spend your time off, and you keep coming to your pastor and you keep asking, "What do What do you think?" Here's Here's my situation. I'd like to hear your thoughts, and and you always give them the answer they don't want to hear, um, which can happen. Um, and you watch them repeatedly reject your counsel. Just because you sought somebody's counsel doesn't mean you're a wise person. Um, if you're seeking counsel from somebody because you respect them or you see them as a wise man or woman, then you should also have a predisposition, I guess it would say, to want to follow that counsel. You may not. You may not. You may have, let's say you and I are asked by a person privately and we don't know about it, and he asks you 
your opinion on this and and then me and we give different positions on it and he goes with yours that i i I may not agree with it, but what do I care? But there comes a point also then when you're in these gray areas and you keep rejecting pastoral counsel that don't be shocked when your pastor stops giving you counsel. Right. Um, I mean, you just don't want to hear it. But also don't be shocked that he grieves. Right. Because he will grieve. If he's a real pastor, he will grieve. It, it doesn't will. mean he's against you or your enemy, though, either. No. But he will be grieved because you keep making decisions that— or, or you're ask, or you made the decision that he thinks is very unwise, but you made it, and now new consequences are coming on you. Well, the answer he would give you is undo the really dumb decision you did earlier, and you don't want to still do it again. How how does he fix it? I, it's like it's like driving a car with no oil in it, and you're like, <clears throat> my engine keeps seizing up. Yeah, you need oil, you know. And it's like, yeah, I know, but I I don't. See a need for it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Have fun. And uh, I guess I'm going to invest in engine replacement company because you're going to make me millions. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's silly. But again, so often people are asking for counsel. They don't like the counsel. Then the, then the consequences of maybe an unwise decision falls. And now they want to be rescued, but they still don't want to receive counsel. Yeah. Um, counsel so often carries a cost i mean at some point because you don't know what to do anyhow now within those areas uh sin can arise and in this the pastor along with any other believer must speak authoritatively so the members should be practicing grace toward their leaders as they are often put in a very unpopular or awkward situation when it comes to these gray areas and we would we would beg you show your pastors grace because they're oftentimes asked incredibly awkward questions. I, I I won't say them, but you would be shocked at some of the questions I've been asked in premarital. I'm like, why am I being asked this? Why do you even know about that? Yeah. Um, it's, it's awkward. And you find yourself, uh, yeah, I wish you could see our faces. <laughs> this is why we need video, I guess. Yeah, or not video. Or not video. It's, it's just, I mean, I'm almost blushing here. It's, it's like, I shouldn't know this about you. Um, it, it's hard. And you're speaking into situations that are explosive, emotional. And so we would say members should always practice grace toward the leader. At the same time, when me, members do not wish to heed the counsel of their pastors on those gray areas, don't be surprised, as I've already said, that the pastor becomes rather silent in their lives. Now, this should not be a way a pastor manipulates a people, and that's hard, right, again, because right. people feel like you're manipulating. But again, don't be shocked if you don't want to take the counsel. There's not much more he can say. Um, I remember a, a lady who just took offense at a passage in Proverbs that I was teaching. And I was, I was teaching on parallelism. So I took Proverbs 28, 1, the wicked flee, though no one's pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I was showing how that parallelism worked. And she just could not accept what I meant by wicked there. And I, I spent a good 20, 30 minutes trying to help her work through it. But in the end, she kept on saying, I, I just don't agree with you. And and so she wanted to persist, and I finally said, I don't know what else I can tell you. I've shown you all the verses. I've given you all the explanation. 
If that's what you want to hold it to, fine. But don't think I'll ever agree with you because you're wrong. And she she was offended by that. I'm like, I, <laughs> is if you think the only way that you can I can make make you happy is by agreeing with you, it'll never happen because you're wrong on it. Yeah. Um, and and that's not manipulation. That's just I don't have anything else to say to you. Um, so pastors, though, they should learn to practice pointing people back to the authority figures that are usually present in those situations. Um, and this is something that every pastor has to learn. A, a woman comes to you and asks you your opinion on something. You should ask them if they're married. Well, what does your husband say about that? Um, what does your parent say about that? What does your boss want you to do? What does the law say? These are God-given authority points. And a pastor has every right to say, why don't you go do what your boss wants you to do? It's not a biblical issue. Uh, members should never expect their decisions to be praised regardless of the decision. Now, they may be praised, but they shouldn't expect it. This is probably one of the hardest positions a pastor finds himself in. A family has made a decision that a pastor thinks is very unwise. Well, it's beyond my authority as a pastor to praise him. Uh, I, I also, it's beyond my authority to speak into it. I, I can only give counsel. Um, it wasn't accepted, and so I'm just going to leave it there. And if they're looking for me to affirm their decision that I think is unwise, it's not going to happen. Um, I do try to praise people when they make wise decisions, but there's also an aspect of, at some point, you should be an, acting like an adult. Right. Right? I mean, I, you, your little three-year-old, Hey, did good. All right. You want to praise that, right? But when she's 28 and she cleans her room, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, first of all, why aren't you married? Um, <laughs> no, I don't Golly. send me email. X-A-G-E-T. <laughs> <laughs> um, the point is that an adult should by now have those things down and they don't need that constant affirmation. Yes. All right. So in summary, the pastor has the authority that involves theology, teaching, and anything commanded or prohibited in the Scripture. Application of theology in Scripture is not authoritative in the lives of the individual members. And then finally, we would say that all of this requires truly godly men who are in church leadership, and that these men need to be patient, brave, bold, and gentle. And that is a very, very hard balance to hold. And so those are our thoughts, and we hope that we've been of some help. Um, and because it's not a black and white topic, we know it usually raises questions. So feel free, please, to reach out with any questions you have. Um, and that might end up sparking another episode. Yeah. Uh, so next time we'll talk about something else. Um, Self-control, right? That's my plan. Yeah. Um, so until then, make sure to tune in, join this conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend. <laughs>